Hi, James. Ben, how are you? I'm doing okay. How are you? Good. We have a uh, special guest joining us, joining us on Exponent this week. No, no, we already explained the dog, but yes, the dog's on my lap this week, so we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I was like, wow, on your graduated to graduated from, oh my God, my, my kids convinced me to get this dog to now it's on your lap while you're podcasting. That's a oh. pretty rapid progression to attachment, I feel like. The, it, it, she does not deserve it. She, she has <laughs> regressed as far as potty training goes this week. It's been, it's been a rough week. I, I don't think I want to ask any more questions along that vein. Yeah, no, it's, I'm, I'm honestly more nervous she's going to pee on the floor. She's have to reach on my lap. So if she pees on my lap, that would, that would be a, another problem completely. Anyhow, we should, we should move along and thank WordPress.com for sponsoring Exponents. Whether you like to build a personal blog, you can post pictures of your dog, for example, a business site, or both. Creating a website on WordPress.com helps others find you, remember you, and connect with you. You don't need experience. They guide you through the process from start to finish and take care of the technical side to get your site up and running. Their customer support team, do you know what they're made up of, James? Specialists that are available twenty four by seven, uh, WordPress experts to be WordPress to be experts. specific. Okay, I haven't memorized yeah, that, all the wording, but they're, they're specialists in their own way. But okay, WordPress experts. Sorry. Thank you. Yes, plans start at just four dollars a month, and all plans include a custom domain name for the life of the plan. Go to wordpress.com slash exponent to get fifteen percent off your website today. That's wordpress.com slash exponent. And our thanks to wordpress.com for sponsoring exponent. Indeed, very good. So this week, I, it was kind of kind of weird. So I wrote about Spotify, and it's funny because actually I think you were the first one of us to write about Spotify. I, this was actually the first topic. So after business school, I started working as a research associate with um, Professor Clay Christensen, which we've talked about a little bit. And as part of that, I built up a relationship with Harvard Business Review. And I think this was the first thing that I ever wrote for HBR. And it was basically... Uh, basically getting into Spotify at around the time that it launched in the United States. Yeah, and you were quite a skeptic, I think it would be safe to say. I, I, I must confess, I was a little bit more of a skeptic about the cloud in general. But more so than that, my concern anchored on something that we're probably going to get into quite a bit, which is the nature of the record labels or the content industry. Uh, I'd, as everyone else had, I'd seen the way that things had played out uh, with Apple and iTunes and how they'd pushed the prices up. And it's one thing when you push the prices up on an ownership model. Okay, if I want the track, the, the rules of the game have changed a little bit. So I'm going to have to pay more if I want this new track that's just come out. That seems reasonable. But if you have uh, your playlist and all your music up in the cloud and you're renting it and they start pushing price increases on and you're kind of locked in, then you they they can start to push those price increases on, and then you as a user are then going to have to push those price, uh, pay for those, uh, pay that extra amount as a result of the supply of the goods going, the cost of the goods going up, and that made me very nervous right at the beginning of the whole explosion of uh, cloud based content. Yeah, so just to, uh, I mean, we can actually use yours, your article as, as a frame because this is a question I got a ton. You, you did some comparisons to Netflix, and in your mind, that Netflix was a was different than Spotify. It absolutely was. I think one of the the most important things is to understand 
the way that industries can be similar, but they can also be quite different. And one of the things that's very different between uh, content like TV shows and movies versus music is the way that those products are consumed. TV shows and movies, maybe your favorite movie you'll watch more than once. Uh, maybe your very favorite TV show you might watch more than once. But typically, content of that type is is watched once and then you're done. You don't go back to it. Whereas music, there's this back catalog of songs where you are listening to them and and even the ones that are uh, that are present uh, that are popular right now you listen to it more than once and as as you go back through that tale and the the nature of the listening and the engaging with the content between music and movies or visual tv shows is so different that i was concerned i was even more concerned about spotify than something like netflix because netflix it's like okay this is now too expensive i'll just go get these shows from somewhere else or i'll go watch something else it's not the end of the world music it's like oh wow all my music is here and all the playlists and all the time i invested in getting this how how i wanted it is here and now i can't access all this stuff that's so important to me and how i listen to music uh, i guess i'm just gonna have to pay the extra amount Right. So uh, let's back up. I think there's a few things to a few things to unpack here is and I think this point about that different media industries, they're similar in that they're media industries, and, mm-hmm. but the, the particulars differ quite a bit. And and this is something I wrote about uh, a, a little over a year ago in an article called The Great Unbundling, although I touched on this multiple times throughout Shatekery is it's very interesting and instructive. Again, it's tempting to, to take lessons from, say, newspapers and apply them to magazines. That's kind of straightforward, mm-hmm. right? But then you could take that and apply it to video, and it gets a little fuzzier. Apply it to music, and and you start to realize that as much as things are similar, like the internet has reduced, think about the internet's impact on these industries, right? The internet with text made it freely available and basically drove down the distribution cost to zero for all intents and purposes. Mm-hmm. Does it cost money to send a couple bytes? I mean, I suppose so, but for all intents and purposes, it's absolutely free. And what was so interesting about music is music, when when sort of like the whole piracy thing started, mm-hmm. where did it really take off? It took off in college dorms, not just because college students are in the sort of like music exploratory phase of their lives, which is certainly true, but also I, we had broadband in our in our dorm rooms. Mm-hmm. Napster, Napster, and college broadband went hat in hand because if you were trying to use Napster uh, at home, you had to use a dial up modem, and it took like twenty minutes to download a song. And meanwhile, your mom's yelling at you because she needs to make a call on the phone. Right? <laughs> like I, I am speaking lived experience here, and, and so the all this stuff fits in together. And well, what happened with music though over time as broadband increased became more widely available not just in dorm rooms but where at the home then the fundamental economics of music changed because distribution went to zero for everyone everywhere and what's so interesting is nothing about the music itself changed it was the it was like infrastructure changed and that changed the industry and i think it's so in all these things if you don't think about all the things around them that go into it and this is why text has always been so interesting because it, from day 1 even on your modem yes it took a long time for web page to load but for all intents and purposes text from day 1 was in a zero distribution cost world. Whereas these other 
industries, they entered that world at different rates based on things yeah. that had nothing to do with the industry itself, but rather on the on file size. It's it, he, That's exactly the point I was going to make. I mean, you were sitting there knowing that the same thing was going to happen to video and video kind of had this edge to figure out how to deal with it because it could see what was happening to music. Like the file sizes were in order of magnitude uh, bigger for video. Music was smaller. So it started with music. And I don't know, at one point you'd have, you'd have said, well, I think if I had to pick an industry, I think I'd rather be, uh, I'd rather be like video. I'd rather be the type of media that's like TV or movies. It's going to be more insulated from this way back when, when this all started, just because of bandwidth and storage space. But now you look at it and the way that, music is consumed and the fact that the back catalog is so valuable whereas that's less the case for tv shows and movies you i i think if i had to pick and and choose to be a historical one of these media companies the music industry isn't actually that bad a place to be right that was that was one of the takeaways in that great unbuilding article and, and a lot of people read that i remember when i made that point at the time and people were like I, that's totally true, and it never in a million years would that have ever occurred to me. Like that was, I got a, so much mm. email about that specific line because the music industry was such the poster child for look at the internet destroying our business. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 if you think about, and it's so interesting how how this works out. If you think about the sort of timeline for infrastructure, yes, like immediately, like. All the newspapers were immediately screwed from day one. Again, because mm-hmm. text is small and distribution costs went to zero. And there and everyone likes to talk about oh, all the bad decisions they made and they put all this content online without a paywall. It it didn't matter. Like the the overwhelming economic force of the zero distribution costs, like given that the entire business model is predicated on controlling distribution, yeah. they were screwed no matter what happened. Like there is no there's no like Oracle that have, could have come along and told newspaper executives in the 1990s about the, what they should have done. They were this is we talked about this last week. Like there's different kinds of innovation or changes that come along, and sometimes you're just screwed. And, yeah. and this was the case for newspapers without without question. That Oracle would have had a really nasty message. Actually, I think it would have had a message, but there's nothing you can do. It's just kind <laughs> right. of like lay down and and enjoy being run over by this freight train. I'm afraid. Right, where music music was kind of in this in-between thing where it, it took a little longer to hit, but when it hit, it still hit kind of like a ton of bricks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, where, where everyone is doubt where it was pirating music because it was it was trivial. It was, it was trivially easy to do. And the music industry, you know, this is the – we've talked about this because of Apple. The reason why iTunes could even come along with the business model that it did yeah. is because Apple had tremendous leverage over the music business, not because Apple – but because piracy, piracy was Apple's leverage. And this is a lesson that I think, I think Apple, I think I made this point before. I think Apple learned all the wrong lessons from iTunes and why have they consistently failed when it comes to negotiating with media companies since then? Because they they expect the media companies to do what Apple tells them to do. And they don't appreciate that the reason the music companies did what Apple told them to do previously is because the music, comp- music companies were screwed. And so Apple was providing a lifeline. A, they were a friend, whereas now Apple walks up to like the video companies and it's like do what we tell you to do and they're like why and apple's like because you're screwed otherwise like you know we're actually doing we're doing okay you know and 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 like it's so interesting how success in one area can just totally if you don't understand why you succeeded in one area you'll learn the wrong lessons and misapply them in another area but yeah that's a bit of a rattle well indeed it's but it's an important point and like the extent to which the music industry was just lost like their their basic business model had evolved to let's hope that cds keep selling and let's 
uh, sue everyone who's trying to use the internet for music out of existence. That was their basic right. approach. So when a company came along that had had figured out how to successfully kind of navigate music in this new internet era, they were like, they clutched onto anything. It's like someone is telling us, like someone's telling us that we can actually make money. Someone's actually going to sell it, and I, I don't know whether it's going to work. But man, we we got to try because anything else, just everything else, just looks horrible. Yeah, and make no mistake, they were still dragged in kicking and screaming, but, yeah. but at least they were like willing to be dragged, which was <laughs> which was which was an improvement. Let's circle back to music in a moment, but it's, it, but as we're on sort of this this chrono- chronology of first text, then music, then video. I mean, video was still kind of always protected, almost like by sheer file size. Mm. Where where even even once broadband speeds got to the point where you could download files, like you that, then you had these massive files on your de- and you, where are you going to put them? Mm. And most people want to watch video on on a TV. And yes, you could connect a TV to your to your computer, but it, it, it was getting much more. There was no Napster where you know anyone could walk mm. up and have music and, and then just dump it in iTunes and put it in their iPod, whatever it might be. Like it, the the if you cared to put in the effort, yes, you could get whatever you wanted, but it almost like self limited itself to how yeah. many people were really were willing to actually do that. And but what that did was because there was a user experience barrier. That's what actually helped open the door to Netflix to come along because what what Netflix did is it made all that hassle of finding the content, downloading it, storing it, showing it on your TV. Netflix took care of all that for you. They went and did the deals to get the content. They did put their apps on every devices here, there, and everywhere. And they you know, all you do is sign up. And, and convenience works. Convenience wins. And, and the number one reason why iTunes halted the push of piracy was convenience. And the number one reason why streaming, which we'll get to in a moment, wins is because of convenience. And the reason why Netflix would come in and, and, and be successful is because it was convenient. And people will pay for convenience because it makes their life easier. Like It's so easy. I think geeks in particular get so locked mm. into like free versus paying something but at the end of the day money's not the end all be all like if you are providing value people are happy to pay and convenience is a very real value that you can provide the, the convenience point i i can't echo enough i think it's one of the things that's come up so many times i think what's interesting is how the dynamics of how video came to the internet is uh, is so different from audio or music came to the internet and it didn't put the, the video creators like the studios they never ended up in a position for all the reasons you just talked about they never ended up in a position where their backs were against the wall but they never really learned any of the lessons i think they thought right. they would be insulated for good and what netflix netflix was almost the one that learned the lesson that you just described which is that people will pay for convenience and as a result of that, they came along, they made it super easy, like as, as they when they introduced their streaming service, when they evolved up from laddered up from just mailing out DVDs, they made it super easy to sign up. It was just a, cu- a couple of clicks and away you went and you were watching whatever it was that you, you wanted. And the 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 video producers didn't really see it as a threat because they were making all this money piracy wasn't didn't seem to be much of a threat here oh here's this company offering to pay us a bit more money but based off to stream like this is now this isn't the core competency and the people who are doing it they don't look like great customers sure go for it that sounds good well, the, this is a super important point. You kind of just mentioned it in passing the DVD thing, but but the reason that mattered, and this is the biggest number one. So the number one difference between 
why Netflix and Spotify are different is just the industries are fundamentally different. Mm. And the differences in those industries are driven by things like infrastructure and the file size. Like that stuff actually matters. It matters how how you make strategy and how events play out. But the second big thing is that Netflix built an audience before it had to negotiate with video mm. providers. Thanks to the first sale doctrine, Netflix could acquire DVDs and then own them, and then they could do what they want with them. They could ship them to customers. At, and, and what that did was it let them build up that customer base. And mm. you know this gets into aggregation theory. And a, kind of a big question here, is Spotify an aggregator, number one? Number two, can they actually achieve the returns that, that come to aggregators? I think those are actually two separate questions that we'll get into. But a big part of aggregation theory is that you, you – you leverage your user base to gain control over your suppliers. Mm. And the big thing with Netflix is when they walked up to the, do that initial deal with Stars, for example, they already had a customer base. And this customer base was critical, not just they were exerting leverage on Stars, but they were attractive. Like Netflix could promise we're going to mm. offer you this amount of money. And in retrospect, it's a comically small amount of money. But at the time, it was a meaningful, like pure profit. That's like, oh, we're going to basically get all this extra money for free. And it put them in the position to offer this sort of disruptive deal to to the folks that, that were at play. Whereas if Netflix had walked up and saying, oh, we want to build this service, uh, you know, can we use your content to, to, to build to build a service? By definition, they had they, their negotiating position would have been far, far weaker than it was in reality. And this is because where they got started, you mentioned laddering up because they had already laddered up to mm -hmm. building a user base, to having infrastructure, to all to having a, a branding that people trusted. All these things put them in a much better position to get streaming off the ground in the first place. Right. And I mean, contrast that with Spotify, which was basically trying to do a full catalog right from the get-go. And that certainly made it a lot more attractive to people when, when it launched in the US. It's like, oh, wow, like I can get all my music and there's a monthly charge. But in order for them to get there, they had to go to all the labels, negotiate. And these guys certainly know how to take a pound of flesh, particularly when they recognize they're letting someone in who doesn't bring anything to the table yet. You're your your support is critical to enabling this organization to exist. You can negotiate good terms when that's your negotiating position. That's exactly right. So if you kind of if you kind of cycle backwards, and you mentioned like why is the music industry actually in relatively good good shape now? Go back to wh why music and streaming make so much sense, and it, mm -hmm. it actually goes back to those infrastructure issues. So you first off, you had the development of mobile, in that people had sort of access to to the internet everywhere that they were going and particularly on devices that they were already going to listen to music mm. on. Like streaming would not make any sense if we were all just using desktop PCs because we would not download our music onto our iPods and well, the iPod has an internet connection to to stream and to, to certify the DRM and all that sort of stuff. So, so number one was the infrastructure came along and then number two from a sort of file size perspective, you had this nice middle ground where you could stream music without taking up too much uh, bandwidth but at the same time, if you want to actually carry a meaning of a meaningful amount of stuff with you you were limited limited by the size of your device I mean especially once people moved away from iPods which were just music to their phones where they're taking music and they're taking videos they're downloading apps and Apple is for years selling phones that have way too small storage <laughs> space or, or you're an Android phone you have to buy an external memory card like it, it was a all these sort of circumstances kind of coalesce to make it makes sense. And then you add on the fact that there's just so much music in the world. And again, you you don't just want new stuff. You also want old stuff from a user experience perspective was such an obvious sort of outcome. 
Yeah, but for Spotify to be in a position like Netflix was in, it's almost like they'd had to have emerged during the CD era and and had like a subscription service where you rented CDs out and and they built up an audience base like that. And obviously, by the time the idea came along, it was it came along with a view to doing exactly what you just said, and it makes sense that it emerged for all the reasons you just described. The problem is they were trying to build it with an uh, with an absence of users. They were trying to get it off. Off the ground and it meant that when they went to the labels hat in hand the labels are like oh yeah we'll work with you but uh what are you going to pay us right well what's so interesting is the company that could have done that was apple mm. apple had all the people using itunes they had people who had, who had uh uh, some had bought large libraries. A huge number had uh, downloaded huge libraries from sources unknown. And Apple was actually in a position, had they wanted to build a streaming service circa 2011 or whenever Spotify launched in the U.S. I think Spotify, the company started in, in like 2006 or something like that. They've been around for a long time, but they were in Europe first and came to the U.S. later. Apple and Apple actually had the vision and desire to build a streaming service as opposed to insulting them as Steve Jobs did, they were actually in a position to have the leverage, sort of leverage that Netflix did and to get a much better deal with the labels. The The problem is, is that Netflix, Spotify did not have that leverage. So Spotify from day one has had to sign contracts that were heavily tilted and weighted towards the labels. And then by the time Apple came along with Apple Music, Spotify was a counterweight that the labels didn't have to give Apple anything. The the labels could force Apple to accept the same terms that Spotify did Mm -hmm. because Spotify was already in the market. So the way it actually played out is because Apple didn't seize the opportunity that Spotify saw in, in, in the late 2000s, in the late aughts, it actually turned out better for the labels in the long run, at least from a sort of short to medium term perspective, because they maintained maximum leverage over first Spotify and they could use Spotify to have leverage over Apple. <laughs> it's not that they didn't see it coming either. So I was an intern around this time, and I think you were too. And one of the projects or one of the opportunities they give interns is to like create a product and it turns into this big thing. And I ended up trying to suggest this home music server, which is just shows how deeply embedded I was in the own the files. And I remember speaking to a product manager. I think it was a product manager about this before submitting it. And he was like, you know, where would be a better place to put music files? I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, what about in the cloud? And I was in- instantly like, DRM, the labels will come and get you. He's like, oh, no, I, I think there's some promise in doing that. It- it's funny. There were people there who saw the future coming, but for a variety of reasons, whether it's jobs or business model or the fact that Apple isn't in love with services, they couldn't pull it off. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it just Apple. It-, it didn't even occur to Apple. I mean, w- I kind of snarked about Steve Jobs, but – you know, we talked about people want to own their music. And, you know, I think Apple really believed that. And, and if you think the business model point is exactly right. Apple sells things for people and then they mm-hmm. own it. And, you know, Apple is transitioning to this sort of services model and mindset. But I've written a ton of time. I think a reason why they struggle in this area is because their entire business is built around creating finished products that people mm-hmm. will pay for. And, and and that requires a different a different approach when it comes to building, but on the business model side it requires a different approach as to thinking about how you market and even the sort of products you create. And it's a it's a pretty killer example. They were they were the company that should have created mm. streaming. And the fact that Spotify even exists today and is a going concern is a perfect example of how being successful in one area blinds you to what is next, even though if you actually think through everything about music and mobile and streaming, it, obviously this is the model that that we should use, and Apple was in the position to build it, and they were 
utterly oblivious to it. I mean, they, they, they knew about it and they dismissed it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's almost like the insight ar- that they had around the way that people listen to music. And it might have, it might have also been informed by Jobs's, uh, relationship with the labels and how he felt they negotiated and, and, uh, this, this, uh, the the problems that might have come about had they moved to a rental model. I'm not sure. I, but you're right. I think it it makes lots of sense. And there were people that could see it, and they weren't high ups. They were they were the people on the front line. That oh yeah, if we if we were to design this from scratch right now, this is how we do it. But yeah, it never took. So it's interesting now to put those in context. I think the sort of like. Text is just so easy to produce and so easy to consume that it's it's by far the sort of hardest to paywall into 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 mm. leverage. At the same time, it's also arguably the one with the greatest opportunity because it, it, the cost of productions are so low. Right, music's kind of this this middle ground, and then video is, is like to build like a Netflix competitor or to build a, a, a YouTube competitor is probably an even better example. Just the sheer sort of infrastructure mm. and like to get it off the ground costs are so astronomical that, you know, to the extent Netflix faces a threat, it's from other like massively large companies like Disney, for example, actually getting in and being serious about, you know, because they're starting with that huge library of content. To be a startup and challenge Netflix or just challenge YouTube is, I mean, is – I, it's it's a it's a big it's a big challenge to say the least. It's, it is, and I mean, this is the thing where the fact that they're trying to turn that ship around in this circumstance really speaks to how big the threat that Netflix has become, and how long these guys have let it run before facing the threat. And it's it's this irony where they thought they were in a better position. But they have they it allowed them to delay meeting their fate on the internet, and the music industry didn't have that luxury early on. But they've been dra- they were dragged kicking and screaming. But uh, as a result of the factors that dragged them in kicking and screaming, they're in a better position now than than the ones that were able to put it off. That's exactly right. So I think we should get into that because I think the the relative power of the labels versus Spotify is really the interesting mm. part of the, what I was writing about this week. Uh, I mean, I had a broader point that I was trying to make that probably got lost a little bit. But and also, I think the the critical question, if you think about Spotify, you know, what is their future in, in the long run? So the the sort of core point, and you've made it a few times, is that people don't just listen to new music and they listen to music more than once, and this gives a lot of power and weight to sort of back catalogs. And there's an aspect where basically every new song that is released today by a label is entrenching their position because it's, you know, the 20-year-olds of today, uh, sorry, I hate to warn you, but when you're old like me, you'll still be listening to the music you listen to when you're 20. Uh, 90s alt forever. Uh, the, the, the the truth is that, you know, that, that it's cr- like walk-in is, is kind of an ongoing creation when it comes to music. And where, whereas video, to your point, yes, there is a back catalogs are valuable and we've talked about how they're valuable in the context of there always being something available mm-hmm. and, and kind of filler, if, if that makes sense. Like the great thing about Netflix, if you go to Netflix, the, uh, an important thing is that there's always be something to watch. And that's why Netflix invests in evergreen content because if you sign up for Netflix today, the value of all the shows Netflix has created is, is as high as it ever was. You can go and watch you know, Orange is the New Black, and if you've never watched it before, mm. you're getting the same experience as when you first watched it, whereas Orange is the New Black, Black is less valuable to someone who's already watched yes. it because they're not going to watch it again. And that's kind of the opposite of how yeah. music works, and, and, and that's really important because what it does is it's an in- – 
we talk about in the value chain, value flows to the integrator. And in a value chain, there's usually a single point of integration and everything in the value chain modularizes around that point of integration. So if you want to understand who has the power in a value chain to see where the point of integration is. And so Netf- and, and so in the case of music, there is a point of integration, which is new music. That is what people want and why they would you know be want to hear new music, but also that library of old music that people just enjoy listening to and want to at least have access to or at least know they have access to, right? Maybe I never actually listened to my 90s alt radio, but I want a music service that has access to that songs in case I want to listen to it at some point in the future. And that is a point of integration that gives the labels ongoing power in the music value chain. Yeah, I mean, the I mean, the other way of framing it is just the importance of novelty in one industry versus the other. Like if there, if all Netflix was doing was showing you shows you'd already seen, you wouldn't sit down and watch Netflix. But a music service, primarily, the, you're much less often listening to songs that you've never heard before. You're much more likely to be basic listening to songs you've already heard or, or creating a playlist based on songs you've already heard and pulling in existing artists. And then you like those songs and you want to hear those songs more it's the the novelty factor is much much less and then the other fact that's uh that really is worth bringing up in this conversation is the extent to which there has been consolidation on the supply side like once upon a time there used to be 10 12 15 record labels and you can kind could kind of divide and conquer and if one of them dropped out and you didn't get that label on your uh in your service perhaps might not be the end of the world. Okay, there's a few songs missing. Now it's down to what three plus the the one that represents all the indies. And if you like, you assume that it's evenly distributed, and you lose a third of your library, like you end up in some negotiation, and a third of your library is gone. You're like, oh, screw this, I'm done. It's even worse because these contracts include most favored nation clauses, mm. which basically means that any any concession you give to one label has to be extended to all the labels. So, so for all intents and purposes, so it's basically it's an oligopoly that for all intents and purposes is a monopoly. <laughs> and and you know, if you want to if you want to understand how to overcome and defeat aggregation, well, being a monopoly is one way to do that. Be, and it's not just that, be a monopoly with a product that can't be replicated because you own the rights because it was historically created and that's the thing that everybody wants. Like in terms of putting yourself in a very secure position, that's a great way of doing it. And the other thing too is because of that, because they own it all, they can license it out to Apple or they can license it out to Spotify or they can license it out to Google Play Music or Amazon. And the other issue challenge for Spotify is you end up with an undifferentiated product with mm-hmm. regards to sort of the key part of the product is, you know, the library on Apple Music is pretty much the same library as on Spotify is pretty much the same library as on Google Play Music. And, and that is another way for a supplier to sort of like exert power over the value chain is by what they've done is they're basically modularizing the streaming aspect of the music value chain. And, and you can plug in Spotify to that modular mm-hmm. spot. You can plug in Apple Music. You can plug in Google Play Music. And it is a perfect example of how integration in one part inevitably results in sort of modularization in the other parts. It's a it's so interesting because typically in these instances where we've talked about aggregation theory, it's the it's the 
organization that has the relationship with the customer that ends up being the one that has all the power. But this is one of the instances where the supply side retains so much power because the differentiated nature of what the supplier is offering, i.e. that back catalog and those hit songs from whenever it might be that you just have to have access to, ends up resulting in it being much harder to to aggregate all the users and then exert pressure on suppliers. Right, and not just that, but this is another key thing. It's really important that they they license the same stuff to everyone. And this is a reason mm-hmm. why I think they rightly, after flirting with sort of like exclusives and stuff, really, it's, it's a terrible place to go. Not just because like artists want to be heard by everyone and it's, you know, creating music is very much a, there's a lot of upfront costs that you want to spread out over the maximum customer base, but also it reduces their negotiating position because to the extent all the services have the exact same stuff, the more power you have over any one of the services. And whereas Netflix, for example, yes, you could license the show to Netflix, but it would only be on Netflix. It would not be on Hulu. It would only be on Hulu. It would not be on Amazon Prime or whatever it might be. And and what this did was it, it you may have the video the video creator, the content creator might have earned more money, but they were actually reducing their leverage because now they were increasing the differentiation between the various services. And now, obviously, Netflix took this to 11 by creating their own content. Mm. And you have your own content that's created. You're highly differentiated because you can only get that kind of Netflix. You can't get somewhere else. And Netflix controls that point of differentiation. But the challenge is... you know, Netflix got there first by first licensing content and being the place you got you got there. And again, you can't overlook the the many steps between zero and one hundred. If Netflix at one hundred, you can't just say, "Oh, Netflix at one hundred. Why, why can't Spotify be there?" Without asking, how does Spotify get there? Do they start a label and mm. sign up artists? Well, then what happens? I mean, potentially the labels. You know, Spotify. St- you know, this is the big question. Can Spotify actually pull off the aggregator playbook? Spotify does have a huge user base. Spotify is contributing a huge portion of the label's bottom line. The music industry is actually growing because of streaming, and Spotify pays the largest portion of that. So if Spotify goes out and says, you know what, we're going to start a label and artists can sign up with us, then what's fascinating is what happens. It is It is certainly possible that the labels are like, don't do that. We're going to pull out. And Spotify's like, okay, pull out. And like, oh, we can't give up all that money, so we're not going to pull out. And then Spotify ends up building up this sort of label over time as an alternative and gaining differentiation and gaining, by this way, gaining power over suppliers. At the same time, you can very much see the label saying, fine, we're pulling out of Spotify. And good luck with having two-thirds of, of a library. Well, Apple has it all. Well, Google Play has it all. It, I mean, I so it. I'm. It'd be interesting to see. My instinct regarding the labels is if one of them pulled out, that all pull out. But putting that aside, I think it's actually interesting from a strategy perspective to approach it from both sides. Uh, uh, if I mean, my natural question is: start on the Spotify side. If you were in the position of uh, managing Spotify, what would be the approach you'd take given the circum, like the context you just described, and knowing that this is who is on the other side of the table you have this massive user base you've you haven't done the full laddering up strategy you haven't got the same leverage because you came in late and uh, the labels were able to extract a lot more than say uh, Netflix was able to extract when it was in that position oh sorry can I make one more point before you, f- you finish your question yeah I think uh, and this is a point in the article is Spotify licensed all this on a royalty basis where they are paying mm. the labels a percentage of revenue yeah. and the problem 
problem with that is the more Spotify's revenue goes up, the more their marginal costs go up because they're, they're, they're tied together. Whereas Netflix licensed shows and they didn't pay out based on how many people viewed the show. They paid, they just paid whatever they were right. willing to pay. Exactly. And what that meant was that gave them leverage because if they got more people to watch that, then the amount they were paying per person was flattened out and spread over that many more people. And that gave them, that let them earn more money. That gave them more power in the market. And, and this is like, this, you have to get into it's so easy to say, oh, Spotify can just be Netflix. You have to understand these dynamics of marginal cost versus fixed cost and the ability to generate mm. leverage, not just from your existing user base, but generate leverage from how you're actually paying for these things. Yes, no, Netflix isn't buying these shows permanently. Yes, after the contract expires, they can pull them out. But Netflix is also not paying on a royalty basis, and that is a, a critical to understand fact why they are very, very different than, Spot- than Spotify is. Totally. So given all that as circumstance, I think it's actually interesting from a strategy point of view to take the perspective of the two different sides. You mentioned earlier that if uh, two thirds of the record labels pull out, well, I, I think I would agree with your assessment of them being very oligopolistic in nature and that they, they kind of act as one in many respects. And if two thirds pulled out, it wouldn't surprise me if all three of them pulled out altogether. But let's leave the labels aside for now. Start with Spotify. If you were in the position of Spotify with the, the, the cost and the pricing dynamics, you have this massive user base who are pretty fond of you. Like they like the app. They, they, it integrates with a number of uh, different pieces of hardware. They have their playlist there, but you have these labels on the other side that have an absolutely critical component of, uh, of what it is that you provide to your customers. How, how, what would, what would be your approach to, to playing it out? Well, first off, Spotify deserves a ton of credit. I mean, they have already demonstrated that they have more power than you would expect. And mm. part of this is through – part of it is just people get locked in. Like they make playlists on a service. They get yeah. – it's built to their things. So people are – the idea of switching from Spotify to, say, Apple Music is – a pain. Is, it's a bigger barrier than you think. And not just that, but Spotify's done a great job. Like Spotify Connect is a really fantastic in the way it integrates with all kinds of you might your stereo receivers, speakers, all sorts of stuff. And they have taken the exact sort of approach that a that a broad-based service should take as opposed to Apple being, you know, m- much more locked into to its world as it were. And this is we talked about this a few weeks ago. And so Spotify in general has done a good job of differentiating itself outside of the music library. Such this that is yeah, this is exactly the point that I was trying to make in in that original article all the way back in 2011. You will get locked in for a variety of reasons. What I think I didn't account for is the amount of venture money that that's come along and subsidized them in order to withstand as the negotiations of the labels have pushed the cost up and up and up. They've just been able to weather it as losses as opposed to pass the cost onto the users. Yeah, well, they, believe it or not, their their cost have actually gone down. I mean, the last the the last contract reduced their their share in exchange for you know various very various givebacks. Uh, well, no, the, the equity was a long time ago. But last last summer, basically, they let the labels do some releases that were for paying subscribers only, like the mm. the sort of Taylor Swift clause as as it were. And then they also oh, and they, they agreed to certain like growth goals, right? Where where mm. the rate only. The rate the rate decrease goes away if if they don't increase at a certain amount. So they they've done they've done well. And again, they have they have more walking than you might think. Mm-hmm. Their playlists really do drive discovery. And this is one of the reasons why exclusives or windows have gone away where Apple Music was doing those exclusives at first, is what happened was I believe it was the, the big example was the Katy Perry album of, of that summer, where Spotify just declined to feature it. 
and the album totally flopped and is basically Spotify saying like because they did an exclusive on Apple Music first they're like fine do an exclusive and we're just not going to feature it at all and good luck with your album and 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 the music is like yeah we're not going to do those anymore with you Apple I think <laughs> and that was a it was deeply impressive that given their relative position in the value chain, they had accrued that much power despite the fact. And if anything, that episode, the fact that Spotify basically killed exclusives in the music industry mm. speaks is the biggest point of optimism because and it shows, if I might say so myself, how powerful aggregation really is. They actually do have users such that they can exert some level of control over the music industry. And so the big question is, can they can they get over the hump where it, where where it becomes you know a, a profitable business that that could do more? It's so interesting though because it, undoubtedly influence and undoubtedly that has killed the exclusives. But there's a difference between the type of influence where you have all the labels roughly on side and you feel like you're being attacked and you're responding because they're giving an exclusive to another and they therefore you're burying it and you continue to play everything and and things carry out on otherwise on their merry way it's another where if you start to actually encroach on territory by for example launching a label or or becoming a label and starting to recruit artists and then seeing what happens when the labels react to that it's it's no doubt your point stands but it's a it's a different type of influence and it's an influence in business as usual as opposed to oh here we are we're going to we have so much influence we feel comfortable pursuing netflix's strategy of launching our own content for example yeah it is, it, well there i would say two further points in spotify's favor is the the, the whole concept of the label you know what's the point why would you sign up for the label today i mean it used to be they provide like all the to like record an, uh, an album was extremely mm-hmm. expensive and they would pay for that. That's mm-hmm. not really a point anymore. And you see this in this in types of music, like electronic music, for example, that there's just a, an overwhelming amount of new content all the time. And, you know, I, I know that you are, you are a fan. You've mentioned previously that you listen to uh, above and the, beyond above and beyond. And do you listen to a, an above and beyond podcast again and again and again? Maybe in the context of one week, but what happens the next week when a new podcast comes out? You listen to the new podcast. Yeah, and if you think about that, that is – if we're entering a world of abundance, if there is an ever-abundant amount of music, it follows that the company that is controlling Discovery is going to get more power. Mm -hmm. And moreover, Mm -hmm. it it makes sense for – Above and Beyond is a label, I think, right? They, They started their own label, Anjuna Beats. Right, and are they are they they're not a part of any of the major players? I'm not sure if they're represented by Merlin or not. But but again, why why would they? This is one genre to be sure. Like pop music is maybe another genre completely. But you can see it, it, when there's more and more stuff out there, the whole reason for the labels becomes less and less, and they're they're really stuck on that. We own all the old content part and, and so the real kind of question is is there is this a generational thing like maybe people like me i want to listen to my 90s alt music forever but how how long do people today feel that way are they coming up in this world of abundance where they don't have any expectation or desire mm. for that old stuff i mean is, this is this is i mean this could be particular to a genre as well because electronic dance music and people who listen to it like you go back five years and that music in terms of the amount it gets listened to tapers off super fast so there's much there's even more of a bias towards novelty and new and recent releases and therefore the back catalog becomes less and less important and i think that 
lends itself even further to this. Uh, let's just produce lots and lots of new things and give it away for free. And they've also mastered the art of using that as a basis for helping uh, new artists get discovered, bringing them onto their label because they have the direct relationship with the customers who are all interested and then getting them to shows and so on. It's turned into a full end-to-end model. It's really interesting. It is, but I mean, I, I, that could very much extend. And I think electronic music, because electronic music is is like the cheapest to produce, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're like you have a computer, you can make electronic music. Yes. Whereas, you know, do you extend that? But I don't see why that wouldn't necessarily extend to other types of music. And I guess my point is, is that if you think about the long term trajectory of where this is going, Spotify is in the best position in the long term. Like the labels really are dependent on on old music, and the whole reason they got that old music was because of an old distribution model. And to the extent they've been able to carry forward that advantage into the future is why they are in better shape than anyone mm-hmm. else, but they're not increasing their advantage. They're not increasing their lock-in. Again, yes, every new song that's that's produced by a label and becomes popular is, but all this new universe of new content is, not, is never going to be on the labels. So that's number one. I would tend to agree with that point more other than the fact that almost all new artists and putting aside we just talked about electronic music putting that aside almost all artists still feel compelled to uh, join with labels and we've seen examples where uh, people have tried experiments of going off label from Prince to Radiohead or whatever and they've had varying degrees of success but it is invariably the case that they still end up there now as as the dynamics of what you just described with Spotify play out, might people be more open to experimenting in different ways? We'll see. But at least up until that this point, the the advantage they accrue has continued to accrue because all the artists want to give them their music and be exposed as a result of being on a label. Right. But what happens when Spotify controls exposure? So that's a really good question. That's a really good question. The other thing, too, that is kind of in Spotify's favor is that Spotify and the labels are – they're kind of on the same team. I mean if you think about the the economics of streaming, it's kind of terrible actually for individual artists. It, it, you know, the It's so much better and more productive for an artist – for your typical small-scale small, small artist. If they have the so-called – say they have a 1,000 true fans, right? Mm-hmm. If they can get those 1,000 true fans to get – Pay them ten dollars a year, whether it be mm-hmm. for music or to go to their concert, whatever it might be. Uh, then they, they can make a living, right? The problem is that those thousand true fans, if they subscribe to Spotify and they do nothing but listen to that artist music, that artist does not get all ten dollars from those thousand true fans. It because the the way the money is distributed is they get whatever percentage of all the total plays they are on Spotify, and it, it's like it on it being pennies. Yeah. Right. Right. And so, and why? Why does it work this way? Well, Spotify is is aggregating everything. But if you think about it, labels are kind of like they're they're, they're aggregators themselves as well, mm-hmm. right? They're taking all the artists and being the sort of gateway to them and, and how to get at them. And and so there's a there's an aspect where yes, Spotify could take on the labels, but given that the sort of core dynamics of their business are kind of similar, and it's it's kind of in both's benefit to work together. Like the label, I mean, the labels are dumb. They should. They should be making Spotify far more profitable than it is because Spotify locks them in, right? By by squeezing Spotify and insisting on taking sixty percent or wherever they they are, and, and then you have publishing rights on top of that. They're, they're making like they're almost leaving Spotify no choice but to explore how they can go around Ooh, them in the long run, whether it be through data, whether it be concert tickets or whatever. Because Spotify's entire the reason to 
invest in Spotify is because you believe they can generate revenue outside of the labels in the long run. It, whereas actually they should be embracing Spotify, letting Spotify make a healthy profit and never even have the desire to leave the sort of labels embrace. That's so interesting. So, I mean, I, w- I wanted to come to this, like if you were in charge of the labels, how would you deal with Spotify? And so your approach would actually, I mean, I'm assuming uh, like, up the equity stake potentially, and then imp- improve the improve the nature of the terms uh, uh, that the labels offer Spotify in terms of the streaming rights, such that Spotify gets so addicted to the money that they have no choice. Inver- inevitably, though, I feel like if if you take that route, there is going to be some moment akin to what happened with Netflix and video, where Spotify ends up deciding that oh, wow, we're going to use this money and we're going to start to invest in creating original content so we don't have to pay the labels anything at all. Do you not think that's... Or is no, this no? The labels the labels should should dramatically lower how much you're taking from Spotify and do it from everyone. It, the labels should maximize their integration and create a huge a huge amount of modularity in competitors in Spotify space. It should be the labels' interest that there would be ten Spotify's and all of them can do whatever they want. And and the labels are giving them friendly terms so they can all exist, such that if any of them get too big for their britches. The labels could say, okay, we're going to pull our content from you, and guess what? There's nine other competitors that, that your customers are going to go to, and like they, they, have this, they have this point of power in the value chain, and what they should be doing is leveraging that power to maximize the amount of modularity around them such that they are the only sort of required piece in it. Instead, they're taking their point of integration and squeezing everyone else and extracting every last dollar of profit. And it might be more money in the short term, mm. but it is putting them in more danger in the long run. And you know, I kind of talked myself almost back into Spotify over the week of daily updates and people were reading. I believe in the power of aggregation. I believe Spotify is does have a way to retain and leverage the power of its users. Mm. Is it enough to overcome the labels? Maybe, maybe not. Then again, these companies are so dumb that maybe it is. See, it's interesting that you say that. And from a conceptual point of view around the, the integration modularity, I would tend to agree. The problem is, and this is one of these things that we've talked about, like strategy has to recognize the position that you're in right now. And I feel like the players that have emerged as, uh, uh, that, that are on top to wit, like Spotify, and Apple, uh, it's they've got such a lead in terms of the amount of investment they've made in terms of apps, in terms of integration with hardware, that even if unless labels are giving better terms to new players like Tidal that come along, nobody's going to actually be able to catch up to what what they've already accomplished and therefore you're not going to you're not going to the modularity won't result in another eight players coming along and competing with spotify all you'll be doing is doing a transfer of wealth from the labels to spotify at this point yeah no that's a good point this is what they should have done x number of years ago exactly yeah yeah, no you're so what should they do today well even today though you know i think they should view spotify as much more of an ally because the problem with apple or google play music is that they don't need to make money from music and that Mm. makes them a much more dangerous competitor because when they're yes they're in the music value chain but they basically have like a pipe coming in from the side just like pumping in money that Mm -hmm. that gives them the ability to act in 
to pursue strategic yes. ends that don't make financial sense. And that is always the most sort of dangerous player to have in your value chain because they're not governed by the same incentives that you are. And, and whereas Spotify is is completely within the music value chain. So mm-hmm. if I were the labels, I would absolutely butt up to Spotify knowing that, yes, you may be enabling the, the agent of your demise, but they are bro- in broad strokes living the same world you are with the same goals and the same business model and better them than someone coming in with completely orthogonal business model that doesn't need you. Uh, so that makes a lot of sense. I'm going to leave you in the uh, the big leather chair of a label executive. What happens, let's say they, they follow your advice and do that. What would? How would you react at the point then when Spotify decides to take on to become its own label. Let's say that's what happens in the future. They start offering the talent services and discovery that a that a label has traditionally done. How would you react in that circumstance? Well, I I would back up. I I would have last year. You mentioned the equity point. The labels did mm. take equity in Spotify, but mm-hmm. a long time ago when they first started, the negotiations last summer, I would have upped my equity and dramatically re- reduced my rates because mm. I think in the long run, if Spotify goes out and does that, and you own fifty percent of Spotify or three or Doesn't a single matter, label right? owns right, I mean, you let Spotify do it, and now you own a piece of the, of the next label. So that that's how that's how I mm. would probably approach it. Again, presuming where you are today, sense. but again, if you're going to go back eight years. What I would have done would have been try to build up a whole world of Spotify mm. type services. Uh, unfortunately, again, they fought Spotify every every step of the way. It's I mean, it's just such a such a short term view that it, that has placed them in the labels are in a as much as you talk about their strength relative to Spotify today, they are in a much more precarious position today than they were eight years ago, even though they are making more money, in part because they didn't foster this sort of world around them. It's a great example of when you give up money to the ecosystem, when you enable lots of things to grow on top of you, you actually make yourself so much stronger and essential in the long run instead of trying to squeeze, 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 which is better in the short term, make no mistake, but it it, makes you, it ossifies you. It makes you brittle, and the labels are more brittle today than they were previously. Yeah, I mean, in their defense, it is much easier to do that. And this is something that we've talked about in the context of the newspaper industry. Like, it's much easier to to be thinking in that way when the house isn't on fire. And the point at which uh, things like uh, the the wall between editorial and the business side of things in the in the newspaper industry exist is a function of how healthy the underlying business is. And when the business starts to break, then your ability to maintain that independence starts to become limited. And you've seen instances where that's happened. I, I guess in their defense, I would argue the same thing. It is much easier to have a long-term focus when it doesn't feel like your business is crumbling around beside you. And for a while there, it really did look like it was crumbling. Nevertheless, your point around taking an equity stake and effectively investing in the in the future, because the like your like the what happened with Katy Perry is exactly an example of how much power they are going to have to fuel discovery, and that's been a, a traditional role of the label. And if if Spotify starts to get into that game, I would say that if the labels don't pull that catalog and try and kill it. In the long run, their their purpose, you start to question it beyond of this intellectual property holding company of everything that you had in the past. Yeah, but the problem is though is now if they pull it and kill Spotify, they've just empowered Apple, right? Yeah, which right. is an even more not scary. A- 
Yeah. I'm going to push back a little bit, though. Yes, the house is burning. It's a problem. But the real problem here is greed. I mean, the the average number of the, – the average adult spends something like $28 on music in 1999, like the peak of the recording mm-hmm. industry. And the ones – and now that include people who didn't buy any music. If you mm-hmm. only look at people who bought music, the average spend per adult was $64 per year. What Spotify is offering them at the current price rate that is that is insisted on by the labels is $120 per consumer per year. Now, I get some people bought a ton of music and $120 is actually a vast decrease on what they spend, but you can't think of, you have to think about this. This is the internet. You have to think about the size of the market. And Yes, $120 per consumer. So right now, they're, the reason why the, the industry is growing is they are getting more consumers and they're getting more per consumer. Like $120 per consumer is phenomenal, but it would be so much better in both from a monetary perspective and a strategic perspective to be getting $50 per consumer from 4x the number of consumers. Mm. And, and this, again, it, this is just a classic example where you have to change your mindset on the internet. You have to be biased towards size. You have to be biased towards volume and biased against maximizing your revenue per customer. I mean, well, for me to say, given my advice about niche public public <laughs> sites, but 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 even there, it's the same thing. I mean, I talk about the fact that, yeah, I, relative to my, my average amount per customer is relatively high, but relative to like the newsletters of the day that, that existed before I came along, there were tens of thousands of dollars. It's super low. Why? Because you have to, you have to think about how big that audience is. And, and the labels just didn't do that and consistently to do that. And, and they were greedy. Yeah. I mean, and I, again, this is exactly why I was concerned about putting all my music into a streaming service or, or listening there because they are greedy and they have a history of being greedy and they have a history of resisting every new technology that comes along until it's clear that it's going to make them so much money than that it made them before. And then they try and squeeze everything out of it. And uh, eventually something's going to give. And it's interesting the dynamics of the industry and how Apple is asymmetrically rewarded compared to Spotify. They are outside fully the full, they are not fully embedded in the music value chain therefore they're thinking about something else but there's competition in terms of getting access to the music and then the the dynamics with the labels and how Spotify is going to have to try to find some other way of making money than it is right now and where it's going to look and how that's all going to play out is just going to be so interesting to watch yeah, so I mean, I, I this article ended up being uh, pretty critical of Spotify in part because one of the broader points I wanted to make is, you know, Spotify looks great as a business, particularly their their below the line costs, their their operational costs. They've they've grown in line with revenue. They haven't been like crazy spending or any on those means. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is is that's profit has to come from operational costs because they profit's not going to come from marginal costs because your marginal costs are increasing in line with your revenue. So you're not going to get any leverage there. The only place to get leverage is in your operational costs, which means your sales and marketing has to stay flat. Your research and development has to stay flat on an absolute basis not on a percentage basis. And that's really hard. It's a really hard sort of company to build. And the point, one of the points that the, I said lessons for Spotify, the lesson I was thinking of for companies like Uber or Airbnb, which you think about Uber is probably the, the best example here. Uber love to brag about their gross bookings, but their gross bookings are the same the same as Spotify revenue because they include the driver margin, which which increases with the bookings, right? It's a consistent amount. And for Uber to be profitable in the long run, it will have to achieve that operationally. Now, Uber, it's a different 
sort of you comparison can, because you, well you can see a path to it with self-driving cars for example like and if you own all the demand and then you slot and you have the network running you can kind of slot self-driving cars in and you can see the the marginal cost being transferred to a fixed cost it's I mean, right well it, but that's that's the equivalent of spotify starting its own record label exactly right, right. And, 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 which again it's possible but if you but it's certainly one way that it that it could go and again a totally valid way to think about it but there's also a way where you know you could if you can keep your operational costs under control you can also build a profitable company in that way and i that was just the general point is spotify is actually a really interesting way to think about these other sorts of companies and mm. how they will achieve profitability in the long run yeah and i mean i i, I tell you if i had to pick one of the circumstances in which to be and i the, the distinction though of having a highly concentrated supplier base i.e the labels on which you are wholly dependent and you want to be very careful pissing off versus the very uh, dis, the very distributed uh supplier base that has not a lot of leverage in terms of uh pushing back to wit the ride sharing services and putting aside the human side of things which i'm very much we are very much aware of but you'd much rather be in a position where you don't have a highly concentrated supplier base on which you are dependent because it's much easier to start making the moves towards taking away that cost basis that marginal cost basis and turning it into a fixed cost basis if you have a uh, supplier base that has less leverage over you well, and that's what's interesting to think about self-driving cars. If it ends up, mm. say, Google ends up being the dominant, this gets into how Waymo should think about their go-to-market strategy. Yeah, like it does. that's that's why I've I've argued that Google's going about this all wrong to build out like they should license to everyone on equal terms, mm. and the the whole point of it is you're becoming the point of integration and mm -hmm. you want to modularize everything around you and then you extract you know ex extract rent from all of them and you want to do it on an equal basis so that you can play them off of each other uh anyhow uh, this is why this is the this is what i meant by lessons from spotify yeah. it's actually if you think through the implications of the labels and what it means for general the, mm. the overall value chain and how you think about strategy from the different positions in that value chain it's a it's an even more interesting company than it appears at, at first glance and by the way i do want to say spotify appears to be a very well-run company like the 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 f1 was good their disclosures were were, were were strong i actually there's one there's one point i i point out like, i i don't understand i think they did this wrong and i had like 15 years say no actually you did it wrong and they're right so uh credit to spotify on that point and frankly credit to them for making it this far mm. dealing with the labels uh, uh, the labels that really the labels ought to be helping Spotify and they're dumb. And so they don't, and they made it this far and they've gained real power. And frankly, even though I'm not sure if they're going to make it, uh, I would love it if they did, because uh, heaven knows I'll be writing the aggregation theory. Like this is why they succeeded. Uh, starting from the, I was, I feel like I should have written this week like, how they could do it. Um, I don't know. Uh, I was, I was more struck by the, the sort of comparison point to like Uber and stuff like that, uh, as opposed to making the aggregation theory point again. But then again, you know, who can't make it too many times, I suppose. Uh, well, I mean, there's there are many different ways of viewing these stories, and like I, I think you did a good job with the article. I know, like, but I feel bad. It's been like it's gotten a lot of traction. A lot of it is like, oh, bearish take on Spotify, and it's like, yeah, I could have made a, I could have made a bullish take on Spotify, and I almost kind of regret that I didn't because it, it's almost more interesting in many respects, and uh, and and I don't know. Yeah, it is what it is. The, the article's out there; can't change it now. That's right. 
Anyhow, our thanks to WordPress.com for sponsoring Exponent. Again, go to WordPress.com slash Exponent to get 15% off your order. And uh, the stupid dog pee in the middle of our podcast. So it was unfortunate. I, I feel like there should be an after hours. for we, We'll <laughs> maybe edit in afterwards when the podcast is done. The little bit of interaction that Ben had with the dog and then I had with Ben while he was cleaning up the mess. <laughs> I, I th- you should have said that because it's probably not going to make it. But I will, oh, I will, I will, I will talk to you, you next can, week. You can deal with all the angry email about why it's not. Um, right, I will talk to you next week. That sounds good, mate. Have a good one. Oh, right, yep. Yeah, bye, bye.